From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature. Real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Erin Jones. This time, we'll hear about a South African couple who wanted to go on a romantic getaway, but kept running into bad luck. Actually, we also saw a really, really big kudu. And I was like, Chris, Chris, get out the camera. Chris Diederichs and Anna Collitz were in their final year of university. I studied law and I was in my final year and she was doing a Bachelor of Social Sciences and uh, she specialized in nursing and midwifery. I think we just had a very uh, heavy workload and she was working as well. I was just studying the whole time, so I was really, really, really tired. And in general, I'm not really someone who enjoys the city. It was uh, the end of my academic year. I was going to graduate that same year. I was working very, very hard to get all my hours in, so I was pushing a lot and working a lot of night shifts. Personal life wasn't even a, a thing that we actually thought about much so when we had the chance we definitely took the opportunity to just try to relax and take a bit of a break. There's this really nice place that I've been going to for like 10-15 years. It's like a private game reserve. I'd say it's about equal distance from the town I was living in, Bloemfontein and Johannesburg. The best way I can describe it, it's almost like a grassland or prairie with some um, trees. It's a place where I grew up, so there's nothing more beautiful than that to me. It's always been a place where I've always felt I could go there and feel relaxed. We decided we were going to go there and we were going to fish. I love nature, so the minute he suggested that we we get out of town, I was really, really excited. So we don't really have many sort of national parks. So what this reserve is, it's a private game farm and this specific farmer who owns the area, he specifically uses it to breed stocks of wildlife to be stocked to other areas. There are some giraffes on this reserve and there's a lot of really beautiful species of antelope, like the world's biggest species of antelope, the eland, and um, kudus, and, uh, and then also some jackal and some river otter and animals like that. The reserve is really beautiful because it's private, so there's not a lot of other people there besides people who actually work on the reserve. It's close to the banks of the Vol River, and there's a little island in the middle of the river, and you can actually camp on the island. I thought it was maybe like a romantic gesture, you know, go camp on an island in an area where there's a lot of wildlife and then I can get some fishing done as well. We didn't even plan much. We just packed whatever and we just threw everything in and we were so excited to go and we were even more amped when I got off work early. We decided that we would leave on the Friday after we got off from work, so it was about three-ish and it's about a three-hour drive to there, so we would get there just before the sun went down. And then we actually ended up leaving earlier because we both got off. So, I mean, setting out and uh, the preparation for the trip, everything looked really rosy at that point. The drive was really nice. Um, so, Chris loves his country music, and um, he made me um, 
listen to it and I actually turned out loving it. So it was quite relaxing um, <laughs> until we got, got there. When we got there, there's about a five kilometer stretch that you need to go through before you get to the entrance of the reserve. And uh, the road, had just because of how the wind was blowing, it was just filled up with a lot of loose sand. And I knew there was an alternative road, but I wasn't thinking like something like this could happen. So I told Anna, let's just drive through. I'm sure we won't get stuck. We got stuck. He told me that it was going to be fine. And I, and I told him, oh, well, probably should take the alternative route. And he was like, I'm so excited just to go fishing. And I was like, well, you're never going to go fishing if we get stuck. But all right, if you know better. And um, so it wasn't even like two minutes and we got we got stuck real bad like the truck was on his tummy and both the wheels were basically covered in sand and uh, <laughs> we were just couldn't get out and obviously you know when I turned around after I switched off the ignition of the car I just saw a glaring look at me <laughs> 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 obviously you know knowing that I made the mistake thought you know I'm an independent man I'm gonna show I'm gonna get this car out on my own and Anna kept telling me, listen, there's no way you're going to get this out on your own. I'm like, no, man, it's going to be fine. We're going to get it out. Shame, he tried so hard and I could really see his, he, <laughs> he sweated blood and tears, but he couldn't manage to get us out. And I also tried. We were so full of sand, but no, eventually we just walked and tried to find something. And there was um, a car that went by and that man helped us so he was so friendly and he took us to one of his workers and he pulled us out with a tractor but yeah we were a bit disheartened but I think we just brushed it off and we're like okay time to move on we got to the reserve we opened the gate and went through and saw some beautiful animals just as we got in as soon as that happened everything was kind of in the past it was a quite a drive till from where we got stuck to the to the actual place that we would set out for camp, but um, we actually saw some very nice animals, um, <laughs> some really nice bucks and um, antelopes and. Well, we saw a lot of um, lechwe, which is like a reddish-coloured antelope, and we saw some impala. Actually, we also saw a really really big kudu. In South Africa, they call this the ghost of Africa because they really scares the kudus. You see them and then they're gone. There's a specific uh, classification that some hunters have for kudus. It's called Roland Ward. So if the kudus horn spirals are more than three spirals, I think, something like that. And we actually saw this animal come across the road as well. Really beautiful. And I was like, Chris, Chris, get out the camera. And he was like, no, no, just enjoy the, the moment. And I was like, no, we can't pass on this. Like, And I got my camera and I took a photo of this huge kudu. And as I just wanted to, I just pressed my button and it was, it was gone. Anyway, so went through and we crossed the bridge onto the island. By this time, you know, we kind of wasted some time getting stuck and we've also like stopped along the way looking at animals and whatever so I really wanted to start fishing a bit. I know I just packed out some of our food and we started a fire and uh, you know just kind of started settling into our camping spot. We didn't really bring water with, uh, it might be 
funny to say that, but it's almost better to get water from the natural wells that are pumped out by a special pump on the farm. I love that water. It just tastes amazing. So our usual plan is to not take water and then get water from there. It's always worked. She had a, a couple of um, bottles with her. It's like a two or three gallon like container which we put the water in. And she's like, well, she's going to go get us some water. And she jumps into my truck and she goes off. I love seeing the nature. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a nice scenic route. I'm going to see some nice bucks and maybe I'll see that kudu again. <laughs> as soon as I got to the water well, it was dry. So I think because there's no one living there all the time, I think they turned off the pumps and all the pipes were dry. So I couldn't even manage to get water. On my way back to Chris, I was just driving very slowly um, because all the, the animals, obviously, we need to respect them. So need to drive really slowly and just check them out. As I drove, this Rowan Ward kudu that I've been asking to see so long jumped in front of me. And so Chris just told me, he mentioned that this kudu was like, always a million rand worth and as soon as I saw this huge kudu I was like I do not have a million rand to pay this kudu and I just swinged out and as soon as I swinged out the chuck went straight into a tree and it was even it wasn't even a big tree it was this insignificant small little tree and I bumped and my head went on the steering wheel and was like what just happened and i climbed out the car was like where is this kudu like was it even real i was so upset and then it like sunk in and i'm like okay so let's just get back in the car maybe i'll just start i'll try to reverse it out of this little tree and so trying to keep calm i am got back into the truck and tried to start the engine and it didn't start and then I like tried to push the truck from the tree and that didn't work <laughs> at all I couldn't manage to do that and then I realized the only thing I had left to do was to go and find Chris. Usually I'm not worried because it, I, don't, I know that Anna likes to take a bit of a game drive and look at animals but she started to take really long, like maybe an hour or so, which it started getting really weird for me. I started getting that really weird feeling in my stomach, you know, <laughs> something's not right. So <laughs> I hopped off my chair and I decided oh, I'm just going to walk up to the bridge. Maybe it takes me about 15 minutes to get to the turn where the bridge is. And I see her walking. She was wearing these dark trousers and they were like full of this red sand and gravel and she's sweaty and she's like half crying you know <laughs> half closing her eyes at the same time and when I saw that picture I knew something had happened. As soon as I saw his face and I saw him I just ran to him and I just the tears just came I was like Chris Chris you're never gonna forgive me for what happened because I know he loved his truck so I was really worried about or he's going to be mad at me, or how's he going to react? So he just asked me, what, Anna, what, what, what happened? Do I call, where's the truck? And I just cried, and he couldn't even make anything out that I said. I could see she wasn't hurt physically, but she was 
shaken. So obviously I was really worried. But I think at that moment, the way I saw it, Anna was more worried about me being angry with her for crashing my truck, which I wasn't really. I was more worried about the fact that I'd been stupid, that I haven't told anybody where we'd gone. I didn't tell my friends, I didn't tell anyone else. So I literally realized that, well, if I can't get the truck to work, then maybe we've got a bigger problem. We walked up over the bridge and she took me to the place where she crashed into the tree. Really, it was like a really thin sapling. <laughs> so when I saw this, I'm like, okay, no, maybe the damage isn't that bad. It's going to be okay. I knew that it was long gone. Like <laughs> It was a small tree, but it made a huge dent. So I take the keys, I hop in, see if I can turn it on. And as I turn it on, I can hear that sputtering sound that the engine makes where you know, okay, firstly it's, it's, it's the fuel pump and then if it's not the fuel pump, it's going to be the radiator. When I climbed out and I had a closer inspection, one of the really sharp parts of the tree kind of inserted itself in the engine almost like a sword and just destroyed everything inside. So it wasn't going to work. Then I started having a bit of a panic. Up until that point, I was telling myself that, no, maybe it's not as bad. Maybe the car's damaged a bit, but we're going to be able to drive back to the town, phone roadside assistance and get a place to stay and it's going to be okay. When the car didn't work, I realized that, well, the only way to get out would be either to phone someone or to walk out. And I let slip saying that, uh, how did this happen? How did this happen that you crashed this car into this? small sapling and it's not working. That was an incredibly bad choice of words at that time. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't take kindly to that and the emotions ran high. I also realized that she interpreted that as me maybe saying, I don't believe your version of events, right? I don't believe that the cooter jumped in front of you and crashed into the tree. Yeah, so we had a bit of a <laughs> fight about it um, in that moment I really actually wanted us to be there for each other and uh, I thought that it went in the opposite direction so I was actually really disheartened and I was really sad at that stage it actually took us quite a while to calm down I think it was about half an hour or so we were just sitting down and just kind of gathering our thoughts not talking to each other I realized that, well, it's getting dark, so we need to make a plan. I told her that there is like a shed area up top of the game reserve where our first kind of effort was to see maybe if there might be someone there, and then if not, if we could get some cell signal somewhere. It's quite a walk, like usually when you're driving it takes quickly, but by this point we're both pretty, <laughs> we'd spend all our energy on this uh, all our emotions right so we're walking not really talking or anything and as we get up top no one was there so basically our plan from there on was we were either going to phone someone or we we're going to have to walk to town which was something I was dreading I really didn't feel that it was safe to do that so the phone was our was our big chance 
there isn't really cell service, but they're like these little spots. You can maybe if you get a little high point or climb on top of a tower or something like that, you can get a bar, right? And that's gold in a situation like that. But we looked around and there was like a cement water reservoir. It was pretty high. And um, additionally, <laughs> my friends, they all were away as well for the weekend. I just knew that I had this one friend who lived a couple of towns over in another province who might be able to help me. So I get his number and I tell Anna, right, you got to jump up now. <laughs> so I help her up onto the cement reservoir and uh, she's like, no, she's not going to do it. You do it. I'm like, you're a lot lighter than I am. And uh, I'm sure I can pick you up and get you up here. So I get her up and um, she phones and she phones and Eventually, I think it was after the fourth or first try, she gets through to him. One thing about this friend of mine, his name is Andres. He's got a weird sense of humor. He's a, a funeral home director. So <laughs> he, was at a, he was at a funeral in the Anjan Fodem and he's like, what's going on? You know, and she says, we're in this trouble. Can you come help us? And he's like, no, sure. You'll, he's just going to finish uh, doing what he's doing, you know, burying someone. And then he's going to come and come and help us. So... <laughs> Andres doesn't know where exactly the entrance to this reserve is, so we decided that we would walk to the top part of the entrance, which is close to like a gravel road, and then go wait for Andres there. So we had to walk really far, almost an hour and a half. By this time, the sun was like just disappearing, but it was still light out. And uh, yeah, we went to go sit down on the gravel road, and we just, I think we kind of had a laugh because we felt like, well, okay. Someone's coming for us now. (laughs) So we waited about an hour and then eventually we saw some lights come on and Andres was there and I didn't know what I was thinking, like how he would come help us. So he pitched up in hers. (laughs) When I phoned him, he said he was at a funeral, but I didn't know what he was busy doing at the funeral. <laughs> he was just saying, I'm just finishing up at a funeral. So I was like, shame, okay, maybe, you know, a loved one maybe died or oh, God. Was, So I didn't know that he was actually maybe burying someone. So it was a bit dark, <laughs> but quite uplifting thing to see after what just happened. Andres arrives there and we both hop in and we drive down to just go fetch our things. As we were about to leave, so the hearse obviously it only has two seats, right? Because you've got that whole place for the coffin at the back. I sat on Chris's lap and I put my hand on the door and he didn't see that. And as soon as I put it there, he slammed the door and my fingers just went like he absolutely crushed my fingers (laughs) (laughs) Um, well luckily I'm a nurse so um, I knew that they weren't broken but Andres first laughed at me and I thought like Andres what are you doing like this is really insensitive because this is my fingers and Chris just slammed them in the door but yeah so Chris was really really upset um, and worried and he, he thought my fingers were all flak broken and I told him no, it'll be fine, we just need to get some ice. But that was just the cherry on on the cake <laughs> for everything that happened.
he took us back to the town and we were able to to organize to get a lift back and after that we've always said that well you know we've got to plan better whenever we want to do something because we'll bank on bad luck finding us somewhere <laughs> wherever <laughs> we go and i realized that me and chris's relationship is actually much stronger than i anticipated it to be or that we can actually go through a lot of bad things and we can um get through it Our storytellers were Chris Dieterichs and Anna Collitz. Chris is now completing his master's in law, and Anna is happily working as a midwife. And they recently decided to head back to the reserve to try it again. Again, this is our last episode for a few months. We'll be back in the fall. And be sure to follow us on social media so you'll know when we're back. We're at Human Nature Pod. I'm Erin Jones. Thank you for listening to Human Nature. This episode was produced by Greg Ronco. It was edited by me, Megan Fury, Charles Fournier, Anna Rader, Alex Schaefer, and Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.